This episode of the Adult Book Club is brought to you by Audible, the largest collection of audiobooks anywhere on the web. If you go to audibletrial.com slash idlebooks, you will get a free month of Audible as well as an audiobook of your choice to keep. You could, for instance, pick up Silence by Shusaku Endo, the subject of this month's episode. Audibletrial.com slash idlebooks. Welcome to the Idol Book Club for February 2017. I am Chris Remo. I'm Sarah Argadale. This month, we're discussing Silence, the Japanese novel by Shusaku Endo, which was recently adapted into a film by Martin Scorsese. Um, next month, as a heads up, we will be reading The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood. So first of all, for Silence, why did we choose this novel? Sarah. We decided to read Silence this month because we saw the Scorsese movie. And I think generally we are uh, of the opinion that it is useful to read the book before you see the adaptation. But we didn't. Yeah, we messed up this time. Um, But we're correcting that because you, Chris, have never read The Handmaid's Tale, Hulu's turning it into another prestige TV show. So we're getting that in. I've read The Handmaid's Tale. I'm already done. But anyway, so we we saw the movie Silence um, and were interested in reading uh, the the novel that inspired the Scorsese movie. Um, we will probably talk about the, the book and the movie a little bit later on in the episode, but that was kind of the impetus for picking this up in the first place. Yeah. So Silence uh, tells the story of two... Uh, Portuguese Jesuit missionaries who travel to Japan in, what, the 17th century mm-hmm. um, to determine what happened to one of their compatriots, Father Ferreira, who was conduct, you know, conducting missionary work in Japan um, during a period of time in which uh, Christians became really severely persecuted by the Japanese government. This was during the period of time when Japanese, when uh, Japan was, was really closing itself off to much of the world. Um, and word returns to this, you know, Jesuit congregation that uh, Father Ferreira has reportedly apostatized and is living as a sort of essentially a Japanese citizen, I suppose, or, resident um, with all of the sort of customs that entails and having renounced his, his Catholic faith faith. So these, these um, initially three and then soon two priests travel to Japan to figure out what became of him and um, are, are met with a very resistant Japanese government and uh, many uh, highly persecuted and terrified hidden Christians in Japanese society. This is a a book that uh, kind of defies a simple plot summary. It it has, I mean, the plot that you just laid out is correct. Uh, Essentially, this book is a very personal meditation on what faith can mean to people, especially people in extreme situations, uh, which is a hard thing to describe succinctly yeah and it also i think makes it very difficult to talk about because 
Um, I mean, I I enjoyed this book, and I think you did too. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it is such a it it tries to grapple, and I think successfully grapples with a complex topic, but one that it's, that's not easy to just have a a conversation about. But here we go to, to talk <laughs> about this this novel. So I found Silence to be a book that is extremely spare in in its style of prose. I think you would agree with that. It is uh, is not highly ornamented, but it's I, I, t- it, to me it's it's one of those books that is really deceptively complex. Not just in the the really big questions that the book raises. I think of you know of which there are several, but also just in the very small ambient observations the book has to make about the people and subjects with which it concerns itself. So this is just one example that I, that I, I found and I, I don't, um, I, I just noted it down because it, it felt really potent to me. This is from page 45 of the, uh, Picador Modern Classics paperback edition. It says, finally, I had to take my rosary and, unfastening the beads, give one to each of them. I suppose it is not a bad thing that the Japanese Christians should reverence such things, but somehow their whole attitude makes me uneasy. I keep asking myself if there is not some error in their outlook. And this is um, Father Rodriguez uh, sort of meeting out rosary beads to um, Japanese Christians who are desperate for just any anything that they can hang on to that will um, connect them in in a physical way to their faith. And he's expressing his concern about this. And I, the, I noted this down because the more I just kept thinking about these three sentences and how much they convey both in the micro and macro senses. I, it, for one, there's it, it touches on something that I think is really important in this book, which is the impossibility of really ever knowing what's in the mind of someone else. You know, he's he's trying to sort of understand what is the version of Christianity that they have? Is it the same as the one I have? I mean, this is something that I don't think you need to be a Christian to understand. This is, I wonder this about colors. You know, I wonder this about everything. Like what is, it's, it's sort of on one hand, it's kind of a facile observation, but on the other hand, I think it's a really deep one. It also just communicates a, a, a very literal sense of the deprivation of the lives of these peasants, which is, I mean, just absolutely brutal. Um, they they can find so much comfort in something so seemingly uh, insignificant. I also found it really notable in that his um, his reservations about their attachment to these material things. I think that's an interesting con- contrast to the Catholic Church, which you know, among religions, is certainly not averse to the glorification of um, grand material goods and, and structures, um, it leans heavily on uh, the recognition and veneration of physical objects and structures. Right. They had a whole schism in right. the, the church over this very issue. Yeah, exactly. And then Rodriguez himself constantly over the course of the book is obsessed with the face of Christ as, quote, the best and most beautiful that ever one could dream of. Well, not not just the face, but the, the face is depicted in one very specific mm-hmm. it's painting. Both. It's both, because he, yeah, you're, you're totally right. He th- he constantly thinks of this painting that, that he has, and he, but he also reflects on this notion that, like, it's, we don't actually know what, what Christ looked like, and how could you ever imagine such a beautiful, such a beautiful face? And it's, 
it i i found that a really interesting constant refrain because why should it necessarily matter what the physical you know the sort of physical beauty of of jesus christ um but but anyway i i just just in those few sentences i i felt like so much about the world of this novel and the interiority of not just its main character but sort of the the surrounding characters as well um and the 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 inner conflicts being set up i'm not about to say that's that particular piece of prose is sort of just a uniquely beautiful piece of prose but i but throughout the novel i increasingly gained a huge amount of respect for endo for his ability to pack a, a enormous density of information and observation into sentences that are extraordinarily um uh straightforward and sort of almost pithy yeah, I think that if the book had been written in a more, um, what's the word that I want to use? Ornamented. Yeah, it, it would have been hard to, to deal with both that and the very weighty topics that the the, the novel is trying to confront. I mean, this is a, a novel that we're reading in translation. So there's always this question of uh, what are we losing yeah. in the, the translation from Japanese to English? But oh, I see what you're we saying, have yeah. to just I've definitely I mean, I, I studied Russian in college, so I have read novels in translation that hold on to the a very verbose style of prose. So I know it's not completely out of the question, but there, you know, there is this element, um, something that this, uh, fragment that you, you brought up, um, more broadly that I want to talk about is this novel is, uh, essentially from Rodriguez's perspective. Uh, it's kind of structured in two main parts where the, Actually, before you get onto that, I want to piggyback on what you just said really quickly um, before we get on to the next thing. Regarding translation, I'm I am definitely underread in Japanese literature. I, I imagine you are as well. Um, have you read Murakami much? I read um, Kafka by the Shore. Okay. And that's I, the only Murakami that I've read. I've read a few of his novels. And to your point about reading works in translation, I can never shake the feeling when reading his novels that I am that I'm reading a different version to what he wrote, which is true. I mean, there's no way around that um, in translation. But the prose in the translations of his that I've read feel so stylistically intentional that I find it. Oh, I, I'm I'm kind of habitually distrustful of the version of it that I'm reading because it seems too idiosyncratic to be able to translate cleanly. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's, I, I didn't get that reading this, and I sort of appreciated how straightforward it was for that reason. I mean, it's just. Much like uh, we can never be entirely sure of the yeah. <laughs> existence of God, we can never entirely be sure that what we're reading in translation is a completely fair depiction of the original work. I mean, just speaking from my very limited experience reading novels that have been translated from Russian to English versus, you know, attempting to read them in the original Russian, uh, I mean, the content generally stays the same. It's, it's not so much the... Um, structure of the sentences but just how it can feel um and i imagine that this would be very different if you're talking about reading a novel in french versus in english um and then going to reading a novel in russian or japanese versus in english uh, there's mm -hmm. just a, a wider gulf uh between english and what 
Japanese and, and Russian uh, stylistically can can feel like um, so versus English and French or something. correct yeah. uh, uh, the English and French are obviously much closer to mm-hmm. to one another and I just uh, I remember when I um, tried to read uh, Master and Margarita by Mikhail Bulgakov in Russian and how it just felt so different from the way that it is translated in English uh, because the the way that the the actual words connect mm-hmm. to each other um, are different. And maybe that's the case for this novel in Japanese. We will never know because we it's, do not speak Japanese, unfortunately. It's, it's true we will never know. Um, but it, I, it only being able to compare a couple Japanese authors, I suspect that in Japanese as in English, and I would imagine as in most languages – one can still write in a in a style that is more straightforward or one can write in a style that is more uh, sort of linguistically ambitious. And neither of those is intrinsically better or, you know, more or less meritous from a liter- literary standpoint. Um, but I do suspect one translates better than the other. Yeah. All else equal. Um, I also read, <laughs> I've only read Master, Master Margarita in English. And I have to, that was a, definitely another case where whatever, whichever translation I read I could not shake the feeling that I was missing half of it, you know, probably also because of, of my lack of cultural awareness of, Ru- of Russian history. It applies to this book as well. Yeah. There's oh, a, definitely. A lot left on the table for people who are not super familiar with both the history and then also uh, what present day. I, I This book was not, it was written in the 60s, so I shouldn't say present day, but... Modern. Modern Japanese yeah. culture. Um, so anyway, going back to... Right, the perspective. Uh, the, the way the novel is actually structured, which at first... So the, the structure goes um, that half of, about half of the novel is from uh, letters that Rodriguez is, is writing back to uh, a priest in Port- Portugal. And then um, about, I, th- I think it is halfway through the novel. It's, it's about halfway, It's yeah. when he gets captured, right? That the right. perspective uh, just changes to being in omniscient uh, third person. But st- I say omniscient. It's sort of like a close third person. Yeah, it's... Yeah. It, it still very, very much feels as though it is from Rodriguez's perspective. It's certainly, um, at that point, the third-person narrator uh, still has Rodriguez's side in everything, I think. Um, so th- even even if the perspective has shifted, I don't think it has shifted uh, dramatically. Um, but I, when I first was reading the book and noticed the change um, that felt like a very modern way to structure the novel. I was yeah. kind of shocked that we uh, were, were suddenly changing perspectives. But then I realized that this is actually um, a very classic way to um, write a story. Uh, a lot of older novels are, are both written um, as like epistolary novels with some kind of narration within it um and i think that that it ties back to the 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 setting that it's trying to evoke so both in this very unornamented we should say style and then the way that it is set up it, this this novel definitely feels as though it, it it belongs um to another time certainly the way that it reads in english um i don't i don't know if 
in you know the modern Japanese novel versus the more mm-hmm. historic Japanese novel where it falls. But as a, as an English reader, right, you get the perspective of uh, this. It, it seems like it was written at the time of the events actually occurring. I thought the perspective change was extremely effective. Uh, and one of the, re- in part, because to me, even though you're completely right that it stays close to, um, to Rodriguez and, and still is essentially on, you know, in his corner, um, it, this, the second half of the novel, it's actually slightly more than the latter half, which I didn't remember. I just double checked right now. And it's actually even before the halfway point, it changes. So most of the novel ends up being in third person. That section of the novel sort of represents the shift from Rodriguez seeing himself as basically a Christ-like martyr into seeing himself as, I, I think, sort of part of a larger system is maybe putting it too strongly, but he he sort of leaves himself in the, in the same way that we are taken outside of his first person perspective. He almost leaves his own body sort of, and and takes a bigger view of everything that's going on. And I think sheds maybe some of his um, kind of like um, self aggrandizing uh, views of his own role in all of this. You know, he's so obsessed with seeing himself. I mean, this this continues on for a while into the second half of the novel, but he's particularly early on. He's so obsessed with seeing himself as a Christ figure, essentially, um, and that he he is eventually one of the one of the big moments in which he's, he starts to be shocked out of that is when he sees um, Garape kind of wade into the ocean to his death Um while Rodriguez is screaming at him to apostatize, um, that that really shows into throws into sharp relief the difference between the version of Rodriguez in his mind and the version in reality, as well as the fact that none of the martyrdoms are actually glorious or wonderful in this very romanticized way he imagines they would be. The whole thing is just it's just terrible. Everything about it is terrible. And I thought the the shift out of his first person perspective was really effective in kind of shrinking him down. You know, we're no longer like resonating in the cavern of his brain. Instead, he's just sort of another person in the middle of this situation. And he's constantly, time after time, he is um, kind of cut further down to size. Uh, And I I thought that was a really, I thought that was really deft. Yeah, I I think you have completely identified what that, that shift in um, narration is meant to convey to the reader. Um, I, I would have to say, though, that it, it, it still, in, in some ways, doesn't completely follow through. Um, so the the letters that Rodriguez is writing are completely uh, his own. That that's where you get the comment about um, the, the these Japanese Christians being too um, attached to right. icons versus the mm-hmm. the actual re- religion. And and because this is a a letter that he's writing, it's not necessarily clear that he or the author necessarily are aware 
of the hypocrisy in in that statement. I think the author is aware of everything going on. So you say that, right? But so you have um, this first part that it's from his first person, very biased point of view, and then the the novel shifts to this other perspective at to to represent Rodriguez kind of evolving a little outside of his own bias but uh the the novel still so clearly favors Rodriguez's viewpoint that it's it's hard for me to really see it, his full evolution um from himself uh we we well, earlier talked about uh the actually I think the scene um, on the be- the beach uh, before the his other uh, mm-hmm. f- priest Garepe. Did I say that right? I, I think so. Garepe is what Garepe, I'm saying. Garepe, um, Adam Driver. Uh, <laughs> before he, you know, dies by drowning. Uh, there's a confrontation between Rodriguez and uh, one of the Japanese officials who is who right um, who they've had a few antagonistic confrontations prior mm-hmm. to that, and the way. Uh, that scene is presented is that Rodriguez is uh, confident and self-assured of his, they're having a philosophical argument and, and Rodriguez's um, points are all uh, presented as being the, the calm, wise one, whereas the interpreter is just getting is described as being upset and, and, and angry and getting like so infuriated that this uh, wise priest is calmly deconstructing all the interpreters arguments and this section is all ha- like the third person interpretation but it a third person perspective but it still really really feels like this is Rodriguez's take on the situation um sure i don't think that's a i don't think that is the novel sort of not doing what it sets out to do though i think it is still essentially Rodriguez's perspective but it's but it's conveying his perspective through a different way. Sure, um, but you see, I mean, if the even in the the third person uh, part of the novel that is meant to evoke his development, even the novel itself can't completely shed it, it, it itself of um, Rodriguez being the one who is correct and to to some degree. Yeah, I, yeah my, I, I have a different interpretation, which is that I think the novel it doesn't really consider anyone correct per se i think the there are two perspectives uh, about the role of christianity in japan at this time portrayed in the novel one of whose one of whose belongs to rodriguez which is that um and, and this would obviously be the, the catholic the, the catholic position here which is that catholicism is true therefore it's true everywhere um it's as true in japan as in portugal or anywhere else um and that that's that's a i mean you know, agree with it or not, that's an intellectually consistent position uh, unto itself. And then there's the position of the Japanese government as represented by the magistrate Inoue. And his position is that um, Christianity simply is not suited to Japan. It, it makes no difference what anyone believes is truth or not truth. It, it That is irrelevant because ultimately this the, the very soil of Japan is simply not um, conducive to this religion um that you know i think is also a, a sort of fairly intellectually um consistent opinion you know in the worldview of that character and so uh but i think what the novel is ultimately suggesting is that neither of those is correct i mean um endo himself was a 
ultimately a, a devout Catholic, if a, you know, as is the case with many Catholics, and I would imagine many people of many religions, um, a questioning and, and um, one's, you know, he's, he's subjected his faith certainly to lots of consideration. Well, the, the edition we have has a forward by Martin Scorsese, but there was another um, sort of forward that had a lot more uh, historical information and information about Endo himself. And as far as I can tell, the position of Endo seems to be that the that Catholicism, you know, from his standpoint, is in fact um, a sort of a beautiful and true religion. And but it also is not lock, stock and barrel suited to Japan. And he makes a really interesting argument that isn't something I had, had thought about much before, which is that um, Christianity must adapt itself to Japan. But even the Christianity we know is, of course, an adaptation of the original version of Christianity. It's just that it has adapted itself from early Christianity to fit the needs of Western Europe, essentially. Um, and just as it was, tr just as that was necessarily true over the course of centuries to establish Christianity as the dominant European religion, so must that be true if it is to ever become um, any kind of significant force in Japan. Uh, and so uh, to me, the, the, the ultimate uh, perspective of the book there is that both extreme positions are, you know, have truth within them, um, but neither contains all the truth. So I agree with you um, that the the novel ultimately, I think, is arguing that neither the Japanese officials nor the Portuguese priests are necessarily correct in their dogmatic beliefs. But Cotton, the the middle of these two warring factions, right, are the the Japanese peasants um, who are kind of struggling to make sense of a world uh, where they have all these competing, sometimes very deadly. Um, interest yeah. going on so how um how did you feel that the the kind of oppressed japanese class of of the novel were presented uh that's a good question it's tough to say without being more of a scholar of this period in history i i guess i don't mean how um like did they feel uh, like characters to you or were they um, just there for Rodriguez to kind of bounce his own understanding of, um, because Rod Rodriguez is struggling with his, his faith and, and martyrdom. Meanwhile, it, it, it's like, um, it's a great example of uh, the way that life still works today, where the intellectual political class are having these, uh, philosophical debates about religion and, and culture and, and, and maintaining your culture and all, mm -hmm. all of these like, you know, big topics. Meanwhile, it's the Japanese peasants who are the ones who are dying, um, right. because of the, right, right. these conversations. And, and I wonder, does that kind of carry through in, in the book itself? Mm -hmm. Um, like, are the, did the, the Japanese peasants feel like real people to you? Did they feel just like uh, ciphers for, to, to be like pushed around by these, these other bigger groups? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. Um, I think increasingly over the course of the, of the novel, I appreciated the depiction of the peasants more and more in part because the, um, you know, we spoke 
uh, we we each had sort of things to say about the way perspective is treated in this novel. And I think that's really tied to what I, as a reader, got out of the role of those characters um, in in the in the novel. You know, the 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 deeper we get into the book, and the less we are exclusively only concerned with the interiority of Rodriguez, the more we start to see ways in which his assumptions about people, I mean, are sometimes correct. I mean, in, in some sense, you know, the, these people are extraordinarily pious to to sort of almost superhuman degree. Um, but also he finds himself sort of sometimes, um, if anything, uh, underestimating what they're going through. You know, I mean, there's the, there's the part uh, of the story in which he is um, in prison and being treated fairly well. And he sort of, he hears what what is he? What does he think it is? I forget what he thinks the sound is. Snoring. Uh, he th- right. He thinks it's, it's snoring. Yeah, and it's people groaning in these pits. They're groaning in pain. We should say. Right. Exactly. Yes. They're groaning, being being suspended in this pit while blood slowly leaks out of their skull. I mean, it's horrific. Part of the empathy we gain for those people, in part, is is kind of the result of a trick of sleight of hand, relying on the fact that Rodriguez perspective into what's going on with them is limited and he doesn't fully consider what's going on to, to you know, to, to its entire extent. Um, and so I think necessarily, well, I shouldn't say necessarily, but I think the novel in part to some degree intentionally keeps those characters almost at arm's length or slightly less fully drawn um because I mean, I guess par- probably in part to make the exact point that you're making about um, the distance between those people and all of these decisions that are having enormous impacts on their lives and well-being, um, and also because on the on the smaller scale, um, that is how it it punches bigger once we understand what's going on. Um, I don't know if that really answers everything about what everything you're asking. How would you answer that question? I feel so conflicted about it because uh, I, I mean, in in the part of the novel where Rodriguez is uh, trying to step out, outside of himself, he still it, it, he almost has even even though he is um, coming up with new interpretations of his religion and, and how to act in in the world uh, towards the end of the book it, it's as though he has um even less contact with the japanese peasants than he did in, in the first oh, yeah. part of I mean, the, he's intentionally isolated from them sure but but he but his um his change of uh, i don't want to say change of heart because that that's, that's too weak of uh, an expression for for what happens to him in the end but it's it's motivated by the suffering of uh, I think completely at nameless uh, mm-hmm. Japanese peasants who aren't even communicating in in a spoken language. They're just communicating in groans, like right. this animal uh, sound. Versus 
the beginning of the novel where there are Japanese peasants who are named and have full speaking parts and we kind of get some insight into their own goings on. And I, I, I kind of don't know what to to make of the fact that when Rodriguez like finally has his he finally admits to himself that there's nothing noble or great about martyrdom and that uh, these people, these Japanese people do not need to suffer for uh, this um, idea of a religion that he has that might not even be the the correct one. It's at a a moment when um, he is as far both like literally and figuratively from mm-hmm. those same people and right. I, and is that is that on purpose or is that oh, just I think so definitely because when he, because when he is directly interacting with the people um that he's sort of providing his priestly services to even though he is aware in a general sense that this oppression exists and that he's in danger um, there's, he's still, I, I think he, he says this at some point in the novel, he still sort of feels as though, well, he could do this. I mean, he could just live this life indefinitely. It's dangerous, but he could, he could do this, right? He could go from, from village to village and, and, you know, these people could keep hiding and so on. And it's not until the point where he's actually truly isolated and, and realizes how isolated the other people at the hands of, of their captors are that those sort of ro- romantic notions are are just washed away entirely. So I, I do think that's intentional. I do take also take your point that the result of that is that we don't get, we, we get very little direct, you know, connection into the, into these people's own minds and, and, and sense of selves. I mean, that's, that's something we just don't really get much of in the novel, except for really notably in the character of Kichijiro, who is sort of the least admirable person, um, you know, the, the uh, in in all well, I, I don't know, it's arguable, I suppose, but he's he is definitely not an admirable person as portrayed in the novel, and yet the novel also, I think, in some sense, grants him the most um, compa- literary compassion by constantly allowing us into his head and by having him be this vessel to convey this, I think, really potent question about what it, what does it mean to, to be a weak-willed or sort of not an extraordinary person in a challenging time. I think that's, that is something that is not specific to Christianity, not specific to religion. Um, I wonder that about myself all the time in my life, about all numbers of things going on in the world. Um, it's a lot easy. It's a lot easier to be pious in whatever context um, when you are not put up in a life and death situation requiring you to to prove it. And I, I've I found I I really appreciated that character um, for that and and found it to be a really powerful element of the story, even though he's you know portrayed as sort of a sniveling coward most of the time. Yeah, but I I. We are meant to to understand that it it's so I think na- unfortunately natural for people to uh, in fiction hate the the coward because we like to imagine ourselves right. in these extraordinary situations um, making 
the the the, the brave noble, the noble right but but really most of us would mm-hmm. would yeah. do the the same thing um that kichichiro uh does and and i think rodriguez admits to himself uh, that his like hatred at times of this man is in part because of his own guilt mm-hmm. that yeah. that he feels um so i well, and he's also being asked as a priest to even just in his own interactions with this person, he sort of flagellates himself for his inability to act in a Christ-like manner and love this person who is who has wronged him. And right, and, you know, right. And if if you believe in the the Catholic religion, then this is the exact type of person for whom Christianity is supposed to be. I mean, like the Beatitudes say, right, that the 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 weak shall inherit is it the weak or the meek meek but that might but be a translation thing this, uh, yeah. right uh shall inherit the earth you know and and that's what kichichiro's character is um and yet e- even though even though that is part of the catholic doctrine um a priest of the catholic church cannot help but feel this very right. like yeah, natural like yeah um and and that uh, later when we talk about the movie maybe we can talk about how this character is Presented. We can probably segue right into there after this, unless you have another point to raise. I I do have another point, mm-hmm. which is uh, what what do you think of the the ending of the the novel? I don't know. I I I found it to be inappropriate. I mean, I think the ending of the novel, in a way, sort of um, speaks to the uh, kind of I guess modulated truth that I think that the perspective of the novel is trying to convey. You know, I mean, it ends in a The novel ends in a very compromised manner, right? You have um, this priest who we have, who, who, if anything, is stronger in his, in the sort of substance of his faith than he ever has been. And it's the result of putting that faith through an extremely trying circumstance that forces him to adapt it to the situation at hand. Which I think is, you know, I think is largely what, how Endo feels about Catholicism in Japan. Um, and so it's a, it's an ending that is sort of both unsatisfying on its face because no one really ends up in a, in a great situation, but I think also satisfying because of what it suggests about the interior ability of people to, um, uh, come to a more complex conclusion than they they might have they might have otherwise done. The the ending uh, made me feel good about the concept of religion for the the first time in in quite a long time. Mm, that's interesting. Uh, um, just because I I I mean other other versions of the story. You, you can tell that the novel is building to this moment of is is Rodriguez going to renounce his faith in in some way, and I think in in other versions of the story he would uh, find some way to something would happen that would prevent him from actually having to sure. to go through with it. And and in this book, not only does he go through with it, but the ultimate conclusion that we I think we are meant to draw is that he's not actually renouncing anything he's like finally um he's like giving up his his selfishness and mm-hmm. and and really like 
giving himself over to what, if you actually believe that this person, um, Jesus Christ died for the, 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 the purpose of, of taking on humanity's pain. I mean, this, this is a natural extension of, of what that would actually mean. It's more of our like human, um, narcissism and, and selfishness that, that causes somebody like Rodriguez to, to hold onto this glorified idea of, of what, uh, Catholicism, like how you should practice Catholicism that he mm-hmm. is finally, like painfully broken of in the, the end. And, and to me, it's kind of a, a great moment, um, where, okay, yes, that it is possible to, um, believe in, cause I, I, I think, and, and I'm sure that you would agree with this. Um, I, I, I struggle for, um, I imagine certainly for me and I imagine for other people who grew up in the, the Catholic or, or any religious faith, but, um, are now, now adults and trying to, to com- fit that faith into a, a way that make, that helps us understand the world. Um, it, it is hard to be raised in a religion and then grow up to become an adult and, and understand, well, if God exists, why is there so much suffering, um, in, in the world, right? Which is, this book doesn't really, uh, answer that particular question, but it, it kind of s- starts getting you towards the moment of, um, a- accepting the fact that, if there is a God, he certainly would not expect us to uh, live in the way that um, Rodriguez is is trying to uh, attempt to live or... Or, or, um, or that Garape essentially does. Right, which, which, you know, has... is from the past, but I think still definitely has connections to the way that um, people treat religion today, for sure. Um I mean, so I, so I don't, um, you know, I, I am not religious. I, I don't believe in a God the way it is portrayed in the religion I was, I was raised in, um, or, or any sort of major world religion. Um, but I, but I, to, to all the points you're making, I think they are almost equally applicable to almost any dogmatically held belief that people have. Um, one of the questions we sort of considered asking each other on the podcast was, you know, do you, what do you, what does this book mean if you are not a Christian? And I think even just having this conversation with each other for the last 45 minutes or whatever it has been, I think has increased my belief that it it does not require Christian faith to get, I I think, profound um, value, uh, both literary and sort of uh, moral and intellectual out of the struggles depicted in this novel. Um, I've seen some, some reactions to this novel that um, seem unwilling to consider it outside of the context of specifically Christian faith from the perspective of European missionaries in Japan. And I think it does the book a disservice um, to not be able to broaden the scope of what it is saying and what it is about beyond that specific framework. Um, I see. I see you nodding. So I think it's safe to assume we both basically enjoyed <laughs> enjoyed this book. Yeah, yep. and and would recommend it. Um, we 
we did also see the, the film and we, we enjoyed the film, which is one of the reasons, as, as you mentioned, we are reading the book. Um, you know, I think this, this, this is a, has been a, I think a podcast of decent length. We probably shouldn't go into great detail, um, about, about the film, but do you want to, do you have any impressions that you wanted to communicate that are sort of either contrast the book or that, that add to it in a, in a specific way? I mean, the biggest impression is to never see the movie first. Yeah. Uh, that was a mistake. It, it, f- we talked about this a little. For me, it was a struggle to read this book so soon after I had seen the film because, to me, the, the film and the movie are, are so similar um, that it was essentially it, – it felt like I was rewatching the the movie although um Scorsese makes some he he keeps a lot of the same things but he he makes some small changes that are kind of interesting if we if we want to talk about them but biggest takeaway don't do that anymore because uh <laughs> it it definitely decreased my ability to enjoy the novel which is a shame because i think the book is great and had i read it before i, I had seen the movie i think i i would have not struggled with it um but i i did yeah i uh i i didn't struggle with it in the way you did i i think i did at the beginning because i was really worried it was just going to be a direct translation and in 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 the plot sense it almost is as you say um but especially as the book went on and we we spent more and more time in rodriguez's head i sort of got i just sort of settled into a zone of appreciating the you know, I mean, I'm sure you would agree that that books and movies by necessity treat interiority differently, right? I mean, it's sort of the province of literature in a way that it cannot be in film. And I, I think Scorsese did a really admirable job of translating that to film. Um, to me, the film adaptation, rather than a reinterpretation of the book, which I agree with you, it is not, uh, not really. Um, it was more a, an exercise in determining how something that is so novelistic and literary. I mean, this book is not written like a screenplay as, as a lot of modern novels sometimes feel as though they are, um, how, how to translate something so novelistic into a motion picture. And so um, because of all of the choices that had to be made to make that translation, I, I still found them both to stand on their own. Although I do like, I, I do also wish I could go get in a time machine go and read the book first and then appreciate all that stuff all those sort of directorial choices having the baseline of the novel you know in my head so um what are you gonna do can't can't uh can't turn back time but um but i, re- I really liked both do you mind if i read a, a quick wuthering heights email um this is from olivia belton and unfortunately didn't come in in time to make it onto the Wuthering Heights podcast, but I did. Uh, I did want to read it because it. It. I, I just. I thought it was uh, amusing. So she writes. I have two things to share in regard to the latest episode. One about Wuthering Heights' critical reception. Wuthering Heights, like most of the Bronte sisters' work, was first released under a, a male pseudonym. The first reviews of Wuthering Heights talk about it as a gothic horror story. They talk about Kathy and Heathcliff, but it's not really the focus. It's only after it was revealed that it was written by a woman that it started to become more known as a romance. Three guesses why. Uh, So that from Olivia. Dovetailing nicely from that email, here's a 
a book that we all knew going into it was written by a woman that uh, has maintained its its status as a, a definite horror uh, novel <laughs> for sure. I have previously read The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, again, another one of these books that I read um, like early college, and and I remember at the time when I read it thinking. Um, Oh, this dystopian view of a possible future America is so, so quaint. I'm in the Obama years. Uh, <laughs> Margaret Atwood, what are you talking about? Uh, there's no way that something like this would ever happen. And now we're going to re- reread it and see um, if I have that same opinion or not. Um, yeah. Uh, I, that's I, <laughs> encouraging. But I'm I'm excited to I, I think probably a lot of people have are familiar with this novel. Um and you know, I think it's a g- good excuse to to get pe- people, especially you, to read it before um this Hulu TV show yeah. dominates everything. But also because recently um a few bookstores have been giving away copies of um nineteen eighty four and and the handmaids tale for free um actually the copy that we have uh we got for free from the booksmith which is the a local san francisco uh bookstore that that we live near so it just feels like you know sure. a time in, in to yeah. yeah well so for march that is the handmaid's tale by margaret atwood um this episode of the idle book club was brought to you by audible which is the largest collection of audiobooks anywhere. And if you go to audibletrial.com slash idlebooks, you can get a free audiobook of your choice as well as a month of Audible subscription. And you could very well pick up The Handmaid's Tale and listen through it for the next episode of the Idle Book Club. Um, the audiobook is yours to keep regardless what happens with your subscription. Um, so check it out. That's audibletrial.com slash idlebooks. And with that, we will be back next month. Bye. Bye.